0: welcome to the metro church podcast we hope you will be blessed by this message for more information about metro church visit our website at Uh, metrochurch.org.au
1: i spoke in the catholic church once and i met this catholic priest he went for seven years to the seminary he said i came out of seven years i'd done my training i got ordained as a priest and he said i was going to fix the church and fix the world and he said i'm 80 years old now and i've just realized i'm still struggling to fix me you know, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 5. It's going to be on the scriptures uh, on the screen. Um, but I want to read to you a passage of scripture that I, says, I think says lots to us. And, and you need to listen today because, because different ones of you will hear different things if this Holy Spirit speaks. And, and I want you to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say, not what I have to say. I figured a long time ago what I, says, what I say gets forgotten. But if God was to speak to you, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. And surely when we come to church, that's what we want. We don't want to hear the speaker. What we want to do is hear God. You know? So it says in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, One day while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. And they'd come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then some men carrying a paralysed man on a bed uh, came carrying a paralysed man on a bed and they were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus and when he saw their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven you. And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their questioning, he answered them, why do you raise such questions in your heart? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralysed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. And immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on and went to his home glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying we have seen strange things today. I love this passage of scripture, it's just so incredibly rich. It's rich not just about someone being healed um, uh, but about our faith. Four men carry uh, carry uh, uh, this crippled man to Jesus, and 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 they rip open the roof when they can't come in because Jesus is so popular, they can't get in, and we can stop and say, well, that's excessive. <laughs> rip open the roof. Those days, roofs were made of mud and manure and sticks. I wonder if Jesus said at the end, so who's going to fix that? And you know, and and, and sometimes I wonder if. The people who are the most desperate, who are the most persistent, are the ones who see miracles. I wonder if the reason we don't see miracles today is because many of us don't persist. Because we lack the desperation to give God the opportunity for him to have his perfect will. And that we fall short of that. And so here they are, they lower him down. Um, and, and Christian maturity is, is, is the ability to do what has to be done to be who God calls you to be and what God has asked of you Christian maturity doesn't stop at the door of it's difficult or it's hard it doesn't stop at the, of the door of, of, of uh, I can't get it done I don't know how Christian maturity is the ability to stand up and say what needs to be done what have you asked of me I'm going to do that uh, many people seek blessing in their life. There are many people who seek blessing in their life, uh, but they don't put the work in uh, for God to bless them. See, we're saved because of the action of Jesus. We can't do anything to add to that. It's done and dusted. But Christian maturity is about—it's an invitation to a deeper and a deeper and a deeper relationship with God. When I first gave my life to God, I was 13 years old. I was just this little boy. And I said that night in, in Morley, yes, Jesus, I give you my whole life. I ask you to be the Lord and Saviour of my life. Forgive me for the sins in my life that I've done, but I want my life to be for you. I give, I give you my life. Well, a few years go by and I'm 18 years old and that commitment I made to God doesn't work anymore. You know why? Because I'm 18 and I need to come back and I need to come again and I need to say to God, God, here's my life. Be the Lord of my life. Be what I know today. And then a few years later, I, at the age of 23, I'd get married. How many people know that marriage changes you? <laughs> and that commitment I made to God when I was 18, of Jesus, here's my whole life, it didn't work anymore. And then we started having children. How many people know children How? And that commitment I made when I first got married to Jesus, uh, married to Rosemary and gave my life, it didn't work anymore. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about that ever deepening relationship with God. And then through the highs and the lows of life, the great successes of life and the unspeakable sadnesses that life brings and the unknowns that life brings, having to recommit and recommit and recommit your life to God over and over and over. But no one ever told me that. People told me if I came down the front and I gave my life to Jesus, well, I'm... But it doesn't work in terms of my deeper growth with God. That it's, that it's about this ever deepening relationship. Uh, see, and we, and we can do all sorts of things to encourage that in our life. Uh, and so they raise, they, they lower down this crippled man Twisted bones, twisted muscles, who knows, but he can't walk. And what does Jesus say? And it says in verse 20, when he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. What a strange thing. Because they didn't come for forgiveness. They had come for healing. Now, there's another story in the Bible. You know the story in the Bible where Jesus is inside a house and, and, and he's in the house of a Pharisee? And uh, a woman is there, and she's crying, and she's wiping her feet, uh, his feet with her tears. And if you understand the context of that how of that, at the end of it, Jesus turns to her and says, "Woman, your sins are forgiven." Now, now, at no point do we know what the sins are. Now the interesting thing about that story, if you understood the culture of their day, the culture of their world, in those days it was customary to come into people's house and have your feet washed. It was customary in those days to be anointed with all. They didn't have deodorant. It was just good for everybody. In those days, you, you were greeted with a kiss. In those days, you didn't touch a religious leader. In those days, it was customary if you had someone come to your home to stand and look in the window or look in the door, but you didn't step in unless you were invited. And so here's this woman. She has stepped in, and she's touching Jesus. Oh, oh that's the big one. She's in breach of the law. And, and, and Simon the Pharisee, he comes along and he says, if Jesus knew who this, guy, this woman was, that she's a sinner. And, 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 and Jesus knows what he thinks and he says, Hey, Simon. You know, he, he said, Simon, I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. Simon, I came into your house. You didn't greet me with, greet me with a kiss. Yeah, Simon, I came into your house. You didn't uh, anoint me with oil. And Simon thinks to himself, but if you knew who this woman was and what she is. Right. And, and and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus knows who exactly is. The other the other gospels tell us, Luke Luke doesn't, but the other gospels tell us that she was a prostitute. But here's what a prostitute was in their day, if you don't know what a prostitute is. In those days the customs were is that men and women were betrothed. It was negotiated between the man because often the father of the man, the man was a lot older than the girl he was marrying. Often the father was dead, so it was negotiated between the father of the girl and the man, and then they would be betrothed. And in that 12 months, the betrothal was to test the faithfulness of the woman that she would be faithful in those 12 months. And then all of a sudden, and then, and then he would come. He'd take her. He'd take her home. There would be a seven-day wedding. Thank God you don't pay for that. Hey, you know, and there would be this wedding. And so so he he comes and he he takes this uh, girl, uh, or that was the way they got married. But the problem was they married older men. Now, when you left home, the girl left home, she was immediately pushed out of her family and she was not allowed to return. And so when she went into the new family, because their world worked on the basis of honour, that if you're in good honour, you could trade with people because they bartered. But if you were in poor honour, no one would trade with you. And so the family you married into, you were, they were suspicious of you. And so here's these little girls who are 15 and 16 and 17. Their, their husbands would die and they were pushed onto the streets because they couldn't go home and they weren't wanted in the family that they had married. And these were little girls. These are your daughters, everybody. And they did and scratched out whatever they had to do and the prostitutes of their day often were just little girls. Makes you think a bit differently, doesn't it? And in the story of Jesus watching the woman's face, we don't know what's wrong with the girl. We don't know what's in that girl. Nothing is said, but Jesus doesn't say anything other than, your sins are forgiven. And so we come back to the story of, the, of, the, of them blowing the man down. And Jesus and Jesus, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And they go, Why? See, Jesus is playing to his bigger role, his perfect will. See, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and Adam and Eve do what God says don't do, what does it say? The scripture says sin entered into the world. And what's sin? Sin means to miss the mark. Sin means to be separated. What's the consequence of sin? Sin, The consequence of sin is death. And, you know, if God is perfect, all-knowing, all-knowledgeable, all-loving in every way, and and, and and you fall short of that. It means to be separated. That's the death. It's Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet and the Titanic. And all of a sudden he dies and you see him sink into the water. It's a graphic image of this distance. And we couldn't overcome the distance, and that's why Jesus came that that distance would be overcome. And so when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, Jesus is more interested in winning this person to him and giving them access than their crippled body. And yet for so many of us, we're more interested in our crippled bodies than we are. And Jesus' mission, it goes right back to Luke when he goes in there and he gets handed the scroll at the beginning of his ministry and he he reads and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? To bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus' job description was to win people to the Father and to eternity, to overcome the separation. And so Jesus was always about his bigger will, his perfect will. Where in your life do you get distracted by the everyday circumstances of your life? Where in your life are you playing the long game of your eternity and of growing in a richer and richer and ever richer relationship with God? Someone today in the worship said, You know, we want to go back to that first love, and we do. But in another way, we don't want to go back to that first love. When I got married 38 years ago, I don't look as if I could be married that long, do I? Thank you. I walked down the aisle to this beautiful 22-year-old girl, and I was stunningly good-looking in those days. I don't know what happened. We've changed a little, but I love her today more than I ever did. She's more beautiful to me today than the day she was all dressed up in white because love grows love becomes rich but if it, all it is is about come back in the front give your life to Jesus and be saved well, that's important that's critical but that causes us all to fall so short Jesus wants more for us than us just to have the outside of our circumstances fixed he's after a relationship that's abundant within us now let me ask you a question a controversial question. Um, when we look at the Pharisees, the Pharisees were these religious police, and and if you understood what a Pharisee was, a Pharisee was about really the law. Now, where I come from, where I come from, there, there's a law that says. Um, well, let me before I go there. Let me say this: Rosemary and I had four daughters and a son, and when they were little, when they were little. If I was at the shops by myself and Rosemary wasn't there, and one of the girls, one of the, our daughters, when they're little, said, "Daddy, Daddy, Daddy, I want to go to the bathroom," well, you just took them with you, didn't you? But then they get to an age where you kind of go, "Yeah, it's not the it's not the appropriate thing to do." So what you do is you go stand at the door of the women's bathroom, you send them in, and you say, "If you need something, call me." I have no idea what I'd done if they'd called. <laughs> Now, there's a law that says in the place where I'm from that says men can't go into bathrooms in public places and women can't go into women, you know, men's pub- uh, bathrooms in public places. Is that the same? Is that same here at Metro? Good, just in case I go to the bathroom afterwards, I just want to know, you know. <laughs> yeah. But what happens if I sent my daughters in and one of them cried out, Daddy, Daddy, I'm being attacked, you'd walk right in, wouldn't you? and there wouldn't be a court or a policeman or anyone in the land that would tell you that you'd done the wrong thing. The Pharisees were about the letter of the law. Jesus came to fulfil the law, but with love. He didn't come to lessen it. And so the Pharisees are sitting here in this story, where he's lowered down. The Pharisees are sitting in the story where the woman is, here, is crying at his feet, uh, and, and, and they're suspicious because, and they don't like Jesus because as it says, he spoke with authority. He touched their lives. He did something that was deeper to them. It wasn't just about the process. It was about the heart and the relationship that he longed to have with them in their life. And, and, and here they are and they turn to Jesus. And, and they turn to Jesus and in verse 21 it says, and then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this? Who is speaking blasphemy? Who can forgive sin but God alone? And when Jesus perceived that question is he answered then, or why do you raise questions in your hearts like this? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? Can I ask you this question? What happens if it was never Jesus' intention to heal that crippled man? See, many of us don't want to ask that question because we all think that Jesus was all about just heal everything in front of him. But think about it. The very vehicle that had brought that crippled man and those four people was his, his disability. That the very vehicle that was bringing them to God that often they were trying to flee from. How often in our life is the very thing that we're trying to leave behind, the very source of our salvation, the very hardship they're going through, are the very things that call us into a deeper relationship with God a deeper sense of surrender I start when we started the ministry that we're in uh we were going along merrily and then and then the opportunity it's a long story which I haven't got time to tell now but long story is we've got the opportunity to do television in a far wider way and and and, and it meant that if I was going to do it we were going to have to risk we were going to have to risk we were going to have to risk everything and Rosemary and I talked about it and, we, and, and, and a couple of times through our ministry of life, we talked about, well, let's risk everything and we lose the house, we lose everything, we lose it all. You know, if God, and, you know, we feel like God has asked us to do something. You know? And everything in me, everything in me has wanted to flee the pain and run to certainty, to flee the insecurity and go to what is certain. Everything. But here's the thing. Well, what happened if if all of a sudden someone gave me all the money I ever needed to make ministry work and to bring all of it to work? Can I ask you this question? Would I spend as many years as I have on my knees pleading with God? Would I have come before God and asked him for his blessing and for his mercy and for his grace? Would I have come to him and said, Lord, here's my life, purify me. If everything had worked, could it be that Jesus never intended to heal him? Because the very vehicle that brought him to Jesus was the very vehicle that would, that if he was taken away, might cause him to no longer seek after Jesus. See, we live in a world that says avoid pain and struggle. Now, I'm not saying you'd be you'd go jump into it because you can. I'm not saying let's go take on some hard stuff just because you can. But maybe those things, maybe many of those prayer requests, are the very things that will be the difference between you being more deeply in love with God or not. I met a man a little while ago who uh, was from Somalia, and he started coming along to our ministry all the time. And, uh, and, and one day he told me a story. He said in Somalia, he said, said, I'm a refugee and I had to get out. He said because they were persecuting Christians. And he said they were killing Christians. And he he said of a day, he said, we never knew in our families and in our communities who would be alive at the end of the day. And he said we would go down to the church every morning and we would pray and we would seek God and we would plead with God, God keep us safe look after our families watch over us and he said slowly the Australian government rescued us as refugees here and he said we landed here in Perth one by one over a period of months and he said I got here was one of the last to get here and when I arrived I went and I found all these other people from the community where we were and we used to get together to pray. And I said to them on the first day, come on, everybody, where are we going to pray? Where are we going to meet? And he said, all of them said to me, oh, this is Perth, this is Australia. We don't need to pray anymore. And he said to me, he said, the very thing that had caused us to be dependent on God, the very fear and the very struggle that we had, had been lifted. And so now... Everybody was wandering away from that deeper dependence to God. Now, hear me right. I'm not for a moment saying, so go get some hardship in your life. But have a look at Jesus. What did the scriptures say? He says, take up your cross. What did Jesus do? Jesus walked towards his cross. The scriptures tell us that they said to Jesus, his disciples, listen, don't go, when he said, I'm going to Jerusalem, they said, don't do it. So much so that Peter had an argument with said to him, and Jesus has replied to me, "He's get behind me, Satan! You're not about doing my will." You know the the Christian walk, the mature walk, is a walk where we stand seeking the presence of God in the midst of where we are, always knowing that every day it's called to be fresh. Yesterday is not enough yesterday and we see it in the life of Mary. Remember the angel Gabriel comes to Jesus, Uh, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to be the mother of the Lord and she says, how can this be? I know not man as in I'm not sexually active. Uh, How can this be? And then the baby is born and then on that day, what does it say at the end after the angels and shepherds and everything, she she ponders this in her heart. And then and then years go by and then one day Jesus gets lost on a journey. Remember, he gets lost, a 12-year-old, and then they find him, in the, they find him in, in, in the temple talking to the elders and his mother says to him, son, why have you done this to us? And he says, mother, I'm about my father's will. And what does it, it say? And it says, Mary did not understand. And then years go by and they're at a wedding feast one day and she says, hey, son, they've run out of wine. And he says, mum, what's that got to do with me? And and she she almost just disregards Jesus, the son of God. She says to him, do whatever he says. Why? Because she's gone from, I don't know how this is going to happen. She's gone, I don't understand. I don't know what this all means. But I've walked with him. I've been with him. I've been with him through the highs and the lows. And now I am confident in him. My relationship is richer in him today. I am more mature today than where I was. Going to church is not enough. It's not about attendance. It's about, it's about an ever-deepening relationship with Jesus where we do the things like pray, which we know, but even do that in our own personal time, where we reflect on the Scriptures and allow them to come alive in us, where we do what we all know that we should do and sometimes we don't keep saying, Jesus, I want more of you. And I've got to say in my life, and I could tell you stories about the hardship in my life that have just been incredible. But I thank God for every pain, for every struggle, for every hardship. I love him today more because I've experienced him and know him more and more. Where in your life have you run from the very thing that God wanted to use to draw you closer to him? A marriage that's difficult? a disappointment that you weren't the parent that you thought you should be, a financial struggle, a health issue, a dream that wasn't fulfilled, can be the very things that God draws you more deeply and more deeply and more deeply into himself. What would happen if today God was saying to you, I want you to come more deeply to me. I want you to experience me more today, more, exactly in the place where I am. I, I used to give messages all the time that were always motivational, happy, and in the end, everybody won. And to be honest with you, that's not necessarily, they're not truthful messages, are they? Because the message, because it's not real. Jesus meets us in the midst of our everyday. And yes, we're called, and it's in the midst of our everyday that we discover victory and power and might where today where today do you need to experience that victory that power and that might exactly in the place where you are and maybe the life that God has given you and the circumstances that surround you that maybe sometimes we try to flee are the very things that God looks at you and he more wants to say your sins are forgiven you are restored to me that even alleviate some of the things that we want to run from Loving Father I thank you today that you love us and I thank you Lord God that here we are in this place and you see every life there is not a single person here that you don't know you have been with them every moment of their life Lord they all know that and Lord God you can use every circumstance the scripture says you use all things every circumstance to draw us more deeply to you to surrender our will and to surrender our heart to surrender our life to you Father, bless this community of people online, this community of people in this church, Lord God, wherever they are, bless them so that they would live in holiness. Just as I discovered and I see in Jeff Woodward and Rhonda, who've walked the long journey of faith, who've been faithful in the good and faithful in the struggle. But Lord, as I look out, I see faces of people that I've seen for years who've walked faithful with you Allow us to see you. Allow us to know you. Allow us to hear you in the every day of our life because you are ultimately calling us to victory. But your ways sometimes are strange to our sensibilities. Allow us to hear your voice. Allow us to encounter you. And Lord God, I pray that whatever I've said today, the bit that you want to, to, to take seed in someone's heart, that that part would. Father, we make this prayer in the name of Jesus through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you all, everybody.
0: Yes, thank you. Thank you for that, Bruce. Real great depth there. And I love one of the first things that Bruce shared was that he so cited the day, the month, and the year that he said yes to Jesus. What a wonderful testimony that... Anyone can think back to that day that they gave their heart to Jesus. And as he's just been sharing, it, of course, moves beyond that. But it's doing that daily sacrifice and that continuing to walk with God. Well, we want to give you the opportunity for you to be able to say yes to Jesus, to be able to begin that long journey. But it all starts with a very simple yes. And we've got a great way for you to be able to do that. It's a small step, but it is a life-changing step. And it's not about embarrassing you or getting you to come down the front or anything like that. You can do that in the privacy of wherever you are right now. Sitting in your chairs, maybe you're at home, uh, watching this on a big screen TV. Wherever you might be, a very simple way. We call this Yes Text. Quite simply, all you need to do is text the word YES, Y-E-S. You text it to this special number, 826 392. That's all you're doing, but that's not all you're doing. You're saying yes to Jesus. It's a very tangible way of saying yes to Him. Now, you can say a prayer along with that by all means if you want to. I'd encourage you to do that. But it's a simple way of saying yes to Jesus. And if you don't want to do it via text, or maybe you're not in Australia, you can also do that via the email system. But you go to this very simple website. It's a one-page website. The web address is yes.metrochurch.org. Same thing again. It's your way of saying yes to Jesus. Now make sure you mean it don't do it if you don't mean it. But if you mean it, say yes to Jesus. And then what will happen is that uh, over the next 30 days, you'll receive a daily Bible verse that will text you or email that to you. There'll be a simple prayer that you can pray along the lines of what that Bible verse is about. And it will begin that journey of you being able to follow Jesus. We'd love you to be able to do that. Uh, We're not going to be spamming you or sending you any information that comes directly from this church to you. We don't give your details out to anybody else. This is really between you and God. We just happen to be uh, blessed to be the vessel, to be the conduit of that. So uh, why don't you do that? And I'm just going to pray right now that uh, the Lord will help you make that small but significant step. Father, I thank you for all the people that are part of this service, Lord, whether they're in the building or online. Father, I pray that you will help them to take that step of saying yes to Jesus, that they'll give their lives to you and continue to walk with you for every day of their lives in Jesus' precious name. Amen.